So Mary didn't just deliver a baby on that very first Christmas Eve. Mary delivered hope. And so we've been devoting the month of December to Christmas Hope. Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. My name is Talbot Davis, and I'm the pastor here. A lot of you are connected live, and others of you are connected live stream, however you're engaging this morning. I'm always glad to engage back with you. Today's message, the series began a couple weeks ago. We talked about hope when you're impatient, and last week was called hope when things aren't going your way. And so today is called hope when things, hello, are going your way. Next week is hope when you're fearful and Christmas Eve is hope that we can get through Christmas Eve and then we'll see what happens <laughs> happens after all of that. Today, hope when things are going your way and uh, to help us launch into that message, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate uh, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 10 through 20. Deuteronomy 8, it's not very a very Christmassy passage. Uh, but nevertheless, one I thought was vital for us to look at, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is in the history section. That what we're going to be looking at takes place about 1,300 years before Jesus, so about 2,300 years ago at least. And, and uh, if you don't have a Bible here and it's not an app on your phone, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen as they are every Sunday. And the, the reason we put them up on the screen is because we really value the biblical library here. And we believe some things about the biblical library that we repeat to ourselves week after week after week. If you've never been here before, you don't know what I'm going to say. You may have heard it before, and you may not even be sure you agree with it, even if you've heard it before. We've just found there's great power and kindness and clarity that we, we, we let you know who we are and where we stand. And it's this, that in, that in leadership here, we believe that the entire biblical library is God-breathed, that really is inspired, eternal, and true. And out of that conviction about the Bible, we do something unusual with it when we talk about it. And that's how we lift it up. And, and again, if you hadn't been here before and you hadn't seen this moment that we do in, in church, you're like, this, I knew I shouldn't have come here today. This is just, this is kind of unusual. And we admit it, it is unusual. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community that we are a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And we're glad to surrender our lives to the authority as he has revealed it in his word. Amen? Amen. And before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses so long ago to collect everything that became Deuteronomy. And, and I thank you the Holy Spirit is still alive. And, and I, I, pray, I give this message to the Holy Spirit today to, so that you, Lord, would make sure that the message doesn't just sound good or hold people's interest, but so that it settles deep. And I just freely acknowledge that I am powerless without you. but Because of you, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my uh, little nuclear family, we moved from Monroe, North Carolina, about 30 miles east of here. We moved from Monroe, North Carolina to Steel Creek. Y'all thought we moved to Charlotte. No, we moved to Steel Creek, North Carolina, part of Charlotte, where we are now, in the year of our Lord, 1999. 
In other words, the whole last century is when we moved here. And at the time that we moved here, my little family included my wife, Julie, and this is 1999, our nine-year-old daughter, Taylor, she was nine then, and our six-year-old son, Riley. And, and we looked something like this. This is how my little nuclear family looked in those days. Everybody say, oh, that's just the cutest family I've ever seen. You don't have to say that part, but you do have to say the oh part. And so, well... During one of the, because it was Monroe and only about 30 miles, we had a lot of moving trips back and forth, lugging our stuff from Monroe to here in Steel Creek. And on one of the trips that we took, we were driving, me and, me and Julie and our kids were in the backseat, we were driving down Pleasant Road. And if you're not from around here, Pleasant Road is a road right on the border of North and South Carolina. And from Pleasant Road, you can see the Carowinds Amusement Park and you can see in living color all the roller coasters from Pleasant Road. And so we had turned left from Carowinds Boulevard onto Pleasant Road to go to our new house. And Riley, six years old, kind of getting a little bit of understanding about time and space and distance and all that. He, he notices what he's just seen out the window, that there are all these roller coasters and there's carowinds. And so he asks us, hey, mom and dad, is, is our new house this close to carowinds? And we were like, why, yes, son, yes, it is. And Riley sits back in the back seat and he puts his hands behind his head like this and he leans back and he said, life is gonna be good. <laughs> And so it was, and, and so it is. And a lot of you know what that's like. Life, life is gonna be good because life is good because life has been good, it will be good. Your future is so bright, you gotta wear shades. You know what I'm talking about. And, and before I go into this a little bit farther, can I let you in on a little preacher secret? You gotta nod. Can I let you in on a preacher secret? Most preachers and most sermons really need people to have problems. I mean, we need y'all to have problems with your self-esteem and with your relationship and with your doubts and with your compulsions and with your faith and with your halitosis, with all of that stuff, because sermons typically move in the pendulum from problem to some kind of gospel solution. So we love it when y'all are messed up, people, because that really just all kinds of sermon material. Can I hear an amen for that? So, however, even though that's the way, uh, I mean, that's even why we have the series Christmas Hope, because hope is the very thing that a lot of you have lost. But in spite of that, I know that there's a whole chunk of you who are channeling your inner Riley. That life is good. Life was good in the past. Life is good now. Life is gonna be good in the future. You have no reason to believe there will be a dramatic change in situations. You're in the backseat of your car, hands behind your head. Life is gonna be good. You know what I'm talking about. It's when your daughter gets married and you can afford the wedding. It's when, it's when you go to work. And instead of handing you a pink slip, they give you a promotion. It's when you solve Wordle. It's when that guy sends you flowers. It's when the girl sends you a text. It's when you have a good hair day. It's when you hit sent by on Amazon Prime. 
And that thing is such a miracle, that item that you needed more. You can't live without that item, and it's there the same day. It's why it's when your kid not only wins the championship, but earns the scholarship, which is why you can pay for the wedding. (laughs) Yeah, you and me and all of us, we have those seasons when life has been good, life is good, life is gonna be good. And so where is the hope in all of that? It's like the only thing that we have to hope for is hope itself. And so what sort of lessons do we draw from, from a message that doesn't have the, prob- the pendulum from problem to solution, but starts out with this acknowledgement that a lot of people are doing really well. And to help, a, what, what, where is hope when things, they weren't going your way last week, today, where is the hope when things are going your way? And to help us sort of answer some of those questions, we go to one of the least Christmassy passages ever in Deuteronomy chapter eight. I mean, nobody preaches from the book of Deuteronomy in December because it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas unless it has everything to do with Christmas. And the events that we're looking at is, like I mentioned, it's about 1,300 years before Jesus, 2,300 years ago. And in this particular section, Moses is the mouthpiece for God. God is speaking to his people, the Jews, the children of Israel, and he is speaking to his people as they are leaving this season of adversity and they are entering a season of remarkable prosperity. It's like they're they're leaving Monroe and they're heading for Carowinds. I mean, that's how good life is going to be for them. And guess which one, guess which one God thinks is more dangerous for them. See, the adversity that they had faced was when they were slaves in Egypt, which happened for about 400 years. And some of you know the story and and others of you don't, but as slaves in Egypt, they had to make bricks without straw. They were under the iron fist of of the Pharaoh. There were dogs and cats living together. I mean, it was just terrible what they had to deal with as slaves in Egypt. But they've escaped because Charlton Heston parted the Red Sea, and now they're headed towards the promised land. Things are fixing to go their way real fast when they go to the promised land. And that, that's the problem. Because look at what the Lord says to the people through Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 to start. When you have eaten, so, so God is saying, hey, you're, you're getting ready to face a test, people. You don't know it, but you're getting ready to face a test. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land, that's the promised land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget, you might want to circle or underline that word forget, so that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees decrees that I am giving you today. So as you enter into this season of prosperity, and when I talk about prosperity, it's not just financial, it's all of life, you know, relationship health and work health, work-life balance, all things are, all systems are go, all cylinders are, are operate, firing. So, though there are not a lot of cylinders 2,300 years ago in ancient Israel. And so, they're, they're great temptation. Things are going to be going so well for you, you might forget the reason that things are going so well. Then he kind of ups the ante, increases the, the intensity, verses 12 through 14. 
Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses in great subdivisions with the best schools in the state and settle down, and when your, I might've added something, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, when things are going your way, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You notice, you notice the increase in intensity? Verses 10 and 11, you might forget. Be careful when things are going really well because you might forget. And then 12 through 14, oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're gonna forget. You're, you're gonna have all this favor and all this prosperity and you will forget people. And he continues on. Same vein, verses 15 and 16. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. This is after they'd escaped Egypt and were wandering in the desert for 40 years. That thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. And he did all this to humble and test Circle that word test if you have your Bible with you. To test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Oh, goodness. He he introduces a whole nother layer to the logic. All this prosperity, all this favor, everything you've ever wanted. And there's an enormous element of testing in all of that. And then then, then, in one verse, verse 17, we're fixing to look at. It is simultaneously the most truthful and the most frightening diagnosis of the human heart in the middle of a life that's going well that I've ever seen. Because look what it says in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Oh my goodness. How accurate is that? How often when things are going our way, do we end up breaking our arms by patting ourselves on the back? I mean, just think of how accurate verse 17 is. I paid for that house. I built that business. I qualified for that mortgage. I raised those kids. I prevented more crises than I ever managed in my marriage. I took care of my body. I and me and mine. And I did all of that. And here's what you need to know. The reason that kind of thinking is is so lethal is because to a large degree, it's absolutely true. And yet if you stop there, it's absolutely deadly. Because the author's point, his real thrust is not all that that happens in verse 17. Well, look at me and all that I have done. But the very first part of verse 18, look at what it says there. Deuteronomy 8:18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability. Remember, you're, you're tempted to forget. Remember, the, you will forget. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability. And oh, oh my goodness. You see, in, in adversity, you know you can't do it. In prosperity, you think you did. And, and in, that, in that moment, putting these pieces together, 
not only the, the, the thing that is simultaneously true and lethal in verse 17, but the idea from verse 16 that all this prosperity is a test, people. It's not just a blessing. There's a test embedded in the blessing. And here's, here's why you know that today's message is called hope when things are going your way and not hope that things are going your way. Because I love you all too much to wish you a life where things are always going your way. Here's what you need to know. It's this. That adversity is a gift that grows your faith, and prosperity is a test that reveals it. Adversity is a gift, prosperity is a test. And what you need to know is that all too often, the faith that prosperity reveals is faith in me, myself, and I. When, when you are going through a season of adversity, when, when you know you're a mess, then you simultaneously know you can't get out of the mess on your own strength. You've got to turn to God. Can I hear an amen for that? And yet when you're in a season of prosperity, when things are good, so, so that adversity is a gift. I, I have to believe that, that God somehow engineers it into our lives to grow our faith, to make us deeper and more resilient than we'd ever be without that adversity. Prosperity, not so much. Prosperity is dangerous because it makes us forgetful. It makes us prideful. And the test that prosperity reveals, that the faith that prosperity reveals is faith in myself. And that is a soul killer. It's always been this way. It's always been this way, not only for the, the collective children of Israel that Moses is addressing here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but you think of even of, of some of the individual heroes of our faith, and some of you, and you're not familiar with the Bible, and you don't know the names I'm going to mention, and that's okay. Others of you are quite familiar. Just, you just need to know how the biblical story works, but even think of Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. Can we agree that when your brothers sell you into slavery, things are not going your way? And yet he uses that adversity to grow into the kind of man who rescues those same brothers from their poverty. Or Daniel, living in exile in Babylon, where to worship the God he worships can get you killed. It's a capital offense. He grows into the kind of man who develops the kind of faith who says to the Babylonian people, yeah. You can throw me into that lion's den and I don't care if they have me for dinner. That just means I'm going to immediately go be with the Lord. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. Or Nehemiah, faced with opposition from beyond and sedition from within, he grows the kind of faith where he says, oh yeah, watch God now. And it's not just the biblical heroes. It's, it's people beyond the pages of scripture and you see all the ways that adversity was a gift for them that grew their faith and grew their resilience and grew their determination. And I'm thinking of people like Abraham Lincoln or, or Martin Luther King Jr. or people like you. That time you got arrested. That month you sent in spent in rehab. At time your mate filed the papers on you. The job you lost. 
the time you were leading and nobody was following. And none of those seasons were pleasant in the moment. There wasn't a single time that you woke up and said, oh, I'm so glad I got arrested last night. It was a great night in jail. Or I don't want these 30 days of rehab to be over. I want 30 more. Nobody does that. And yet in the aftermath, in the rear view mirror of your life, you know that you know that you know if it had not been for that season of adversity, you would not be the person you are right now. Adversity is a gift that grows your faith. And so many of you are living, breathing examples of exactly what I'm talking about. Prosperity? Not so much. Why do you think we all know, whether it's celebrities or whether it's pastors or whether it's celebrity pastors or leaders of another kind who have this high, high pedestal and the higher the pedestal, the greater the fall. It's been such interesting statistics that I ran across that kind of show that an increase in prosperity, increase in comfort does not really lead to an increase in contentment. So in 1900, the percentage of homes in the United States that had flush toilets was 10% in 1900. And by the turn of the century, a century later, 1999, that same percentage was uh, 98%. And we can assume it's increased in the 22 years since then. Uh, same, by the same token, in 1900, the percentage of houses in the United States that had electricity, 2%. And a century later, the percentage of homes in the U.S. that had electricity was 99%. And so you would think, oh, okay, great. We like all have plumbing and we all have electricity. We must all be so much happier now than we were. Oh, yeah. You, you know, the increases in anxiety and the increases in depression and the increases in aggression continue to go through the roof. And I, I think maybe more than anything else to realize how the increase in all that comfort has not led to an increase in contentment is how upset we get when our Wi-Fi doesn't work when they're on an airplane. I mean, here we are in a metal cylinder going 700 miles an hour, making a journey in a couple of hours that took our ancestors a couple of months. And we can all whine and complain and moan that we don't have access to every bit of information in the history of the human race at our fingertips right now. Amen. The better we have it, the more entitled we become. Prosperity is a test. And I think so many of us have failed it miserably. Adversity is a gift that grows your faith. Prosperity is a test, shines a magnifying glass on it and reveals it. And I just, I want y'all to pass that test. I, I, I want y'all to have prosperity, to, to live in favor. I want your lives to, don't leave here. Talbot said he wants us all miserable. No. I want your lives to flourish. I just, I just want you to pass the test. Because I think for some of you, this, this testing that prosperity involves when things are going your way, it involves humility. 
like for those of you for, th- for whom things are going your way, how, how much credit do you take? I mean, do you, do you regard your current state of favor as all because of your good choices and your good decisions and your good intellect and your good looks and your good, 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 good? Is it all about you or do you instead acknowledge where the capacity comes to do anything comes from to do anything good in the first place. And when I talk about having the humility to acknowledge that God really is the source of every good gift you could ever have. And I don't mean just when you're on stage getting your Oscar or receiving your Heisman. I mean, at the beginning of every day, when you're able to say, Lord, I've told some of you this before, the, the best Thing that I can do first thing in the morning is to celebrate. I am bought. I am such a mess. I needed a Messiah. I was so lost. I needed someone to purchase me. And praise God, Jesus did it with his blood. I am bought. And that's that. That's because I naturally. I'm, I don't. I'm not naturally wired that way. But God has given me that, the gift to begin a day that way. For others of you. The, the test that your prosperity is going to involve, uh, that your prosperity involves, is going to involve your perspective. Like everything that you have and everything that you own in that great house, in the good subdivision that you possess, or the, the latest app that you put on your phone, all this stuff will one day burn. All of it is temporary. And God invites us to this radical realization, this radically new perspective of just how temporary and just how elusive all that stuff really is. And I even know that some of you kind of have a habit. You don't make eye contact with the laborers who make your life really easy. You don't make eye contact with the people you see around who speak. You, can, you know that English is not their first language. You don't make eye contact with the people who are different than you. And what you forget is that we're all died for equally. No one is more died for than someone else. Jesus' death is just as much for the American and the successful as it is for the dispossessed and the desperate because adversity is this gift that grows your, when you're a mess, you're a lot more humble around all the other messes that surround you. It's a gift that grows your faith. Prosperity is a test that reveals it. And yeah, I think that a test that for a lot of you will be a test of your stewardship. You, you remember how I said all that stuff that you have? You devote a lot of time and attention to not only acquiring, but then pr- protecting once you acquire it, that all that stuff is temporary. Here's, here's what's even more true. It's not even yours. It's all on loan from God. Every bit of it. And so I have to ask you, are, are you so devoted to your resources that you forget the source? Are you so enamored with your gifts that you overlook the giver? See, the, the, the real truth about your stuff and, yeah, frankly, your money, the, the real question is not how much of your hard-earned money are you going to give to God. The real question is how much of God's money are you going to keep for yourself? 
And surveys and analyses repeatedly show that as people's income increases, the percentage of that income that they give to God's work decreases. Raw giving might increase, but percentage decreases. And the people at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale tend to give the higher percentage of what they have to God and God's work. And in this case, prosperity is a test that so many are failing. And like I said, I, I don't want any of you to fail the test. I want you to live in a season of prosperity. I want your lives to flourish. I want you to have good relationships and I want you to live in good neighborhoods and I want you to have good bank accounts and I want you to have a good job. I want all of that. My great prayer is that when the the faith that gets revealed in that kind of prosperity is a faith that is robust and that is radical and that is deeply dependent upon God. I want what you all to have, what, what you all to have, what Jesus calls the abundant life. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says, and I want that for all of you. I just want you to know that you can never achieve it. You only receive it. Because I don't know if you're six or 60. I want you two to be able to lean back in your car, hands behind your head, and declare life is going to be good because God has always been great. Adversity. It's a gift that grows your faith. Prosperity. Test that reveals it. Let's pray. So, Father, move in people's hearts and lives, even as you did in our earlier gathering, so that these words settle deep and that you would reorder priorities and humility and perspective and stewardship. And we would have this abundant life, but know that you're its source and that you're its purpose. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.